Hi, I'm Sherilyn Fenn. Hello, this is Christabel. Hello, this is Michael Horst. I'm Amy Shields. I'm Mark Frost. Hi, I'm Kimmy Robertson. Hey, Ben, this is David Duchovny. We have a beautiful, beautiful book. Twin Peaks Unwrapped the Book. You can get it at bluerosemag.com. Supplies are limited. Uh, get this bad boy while it's hot. Want to say we're under the 300 mark for these books. Yes. And then yes. once they're gone, they are gone. Our thinking would be that the book would be gone by the end of the year. I mean, I don't even know if it's going to last that long. But the idea was that, hey, this is the 30th anniversary. Like, wouldn't it be cool just to have a book that could be available to really diehard Twin Peaks fans? We recommend you pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is Brian Kazaska. And you heard that wonderful singing from Scott Ryan. Hey, Scott. You guys knew that me and Christabel record together, right? I didn't know that. That was actually a duet between oh, a duet. the two. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Scott- we, oh yeah, we performed on stage at the UK Twin Peaks Fest. Everyone knows that. Nice. Oh man. Uh, so why do we have Scott here today, Ben? We are going to talk about this month. The new book, The Women of Lynch, comes out, and you, uh, you're producing it. You, you're publishing it, Scott. And so we had to have you on, and we're going to have. Uh, a, a lot of the writers who wrote the essays on, and I, I'm so excited to have you all on. Oh, thank you. This I'm so proud of this book, and I think if anything sells it, it's that you know I'm I I'm not writing this book, so that is what will make people <laughs> happy. We have brilliant, beautiful, smart women who are tackling these topics, and the book is I I, I just love it. I love it so much. How did you come up? I mean, like, so you had a Women of Lynch issue for Blue Rose magazine. Is that kind of the inspiration for this book? Yeah, I mean, it was really my first idea when we started the Blue Rose. I, I wanted to focus on Lynch's female characters because, you know, as we say in the book that um, – he's always been labeled as a misogynist and I've never viewed him that way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like these people who work with him don't view him that way. I mean, he's got Sabrina Sutherland and Joanna Ray and Cheryl Lee and Laura Dern and all these people who are fans. So I wanted to study that in the blue rose. It took us two years to get to do it. And then in issue seven, we just focused on 40 characters. Did Mm -hmm. I just say just focused on 40 (laughs) characters? Because that issue about sunk us, <laughs> I mean, it was a beast, but, you know, and it was, every essay was so interesting, but you know, it had to be short cause we had to get these 40 in here. And that's when I was like, this is a book, this is bigger than the magazine. So once David Bushman and I started FMP, 
which is our publishing company, um, it was one of the first things I suggested. I said, hey, let's mm. let's get women writers to write about the works of Lynch, but let's not limit them to a character. Let's just say the topic is the women of David Lynch. You can write anything you want. Nice. And how do you go about finding the right people to uh, uh, share this? I mean, these these are all women writers who, who are writing essays for this book. How, how, did they, how did you find them? David Bushman actually found almost all of these writers. I brought in four. Lindsay Hallam, Lindsay Bowden, Lisa Hessian, and someone else. Oh, Maya. They have all worked for the Blue Rose, so I brought them over. Um, we didn't have Courtney do something on this because she actually was the creative director on the Women of Lynch issue, and they were happening at the same time. And I, Courtney was just very, very busy at the time. We would have loved to have Courtney, but she mm. was working on the other thing when we were we were collecting them. So actually, David Bushman got all of the writers. He used his connections or blackmailed. I don't know. We could find <laughs> out. I'm not sure. Where is David Bushman right now? <laughs> uh, yeah, nobody's seen him since he's started to work with me. <laughs> uh, it's a really great book, and it's really interesting. There's a lot of different, you know... Uh, Style, I, yeah, flavors, different style of writing, which I really appreciate. Yeah, and that was very important. We did not put our personalities on any of the writers. We didn't tell them what to do. I mean, the only thing, they had to give us a pitch because we didn't want, you know, 13 essays all on Wild at Heart or something. Mm -hmm. We did want it spread around. But to be honest... We didn't have to change anyone's pitch. I mean, yeah. you know, the person who wrote about Elephant Man wanted to write about Elephant Man. And, and uh, you know, someone was interested in Blue Velvet. And I think we only have one essay on Blue Velvet. And that's what we got. So it actually did spread around. And I'm pretty sure every film is represented in some way yeah. or another. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think we. Well, I don't think Dune is in it. No. I think everything but Dune. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. What's there to say? I would say there might be a little bit from uh, Maya there. but uh, yeah, That's true. Yeah. yeah, Maya does mention Dune a little bit, but as far as a full-on. Uh, but I don't know if Dune is that feminine of a film hmm. for Lynch, really. But. Right. So it, Blue Rose Magazine, that issue focused on individual characters, where the essays is kind of a little more broad, right? I mean, it's really dealing – how would you describe that? Well, I think that, yeah, it was more about a topic that they could build on. And, you know, the it worked well for the Women of Lynch as a magazine to just try to hit the top 40 characters. But I don't think that would be in a book. You would not want to read a whole book about every different character. Right. I just don't think you could fill it out. But the one about Blue Velvet, um, I'm just looking at what the title is. Um probably should have had oh Isabella Rossellini the shocking reel in blue velvet so what Kathleen Fleming focused on is of course you know everyone talks about the famous nude scene of mm. her coming out at the end of the movie mm -hmm. but what she focused on which I thought was so interesting it wasn't like that scene she focuses on how Isabella Rossellini chose to play the character straight and real and not over the top. And I'd never really thought about when you compare how Dennis Hopper is playing and even Kyle, who's, mm. you know, like a super detective in that. And Laura Dern is like overly the top innocent. 
but Isabella Rossellini, you're really feeling her emotions, and she she doesn't she doesn't play a kabuki style at all. You know, I, I've seen Blue Velvet a million times before. I read this essay. I never looked at it that way, and and um, yeah. I love it if Isabella Rossellini could read this because I bet she would love what Kathleen has to say about her performance, and Definitely. it really does change it. Your yeah. opinions, mm. and you ha- you have two interviews with uh, women of Lynch, don't you? Yes, but both those authors are going to be on this podcast, so I'll let them talk about it. And uh, in my last remaining moments before our first author comes on, I do want to talk about Mallory O'Meara's piece. It's called Warding Off the Darkness with Coffee and Pie. And it's about Norma. And when I got this essay from her, I was just blown away by it and this obviously with what happened over the last couple weeks with Peggy Lipton passing away that essay resonates so much more now and I'm just Mm. so happy that we got that in the book and Mallory shared this with us I I don't want to say what it's about because when I read it the first time in her first couple paragraphs when she sets up her premise for this I'm I'm just thought this is stupid like, I, this is dumb. Who would come up with this? And by the end of the essay, I was like, this is brilliant. How has it taken 28 years for someone to point out who Norma's nemesis is? Wow. And um, I would never pick favorites, uh, but I think that's the most original idea in the book. I will say that. Do you think you do more books like these? Yeah, actually, we already have one in the pipeline. It's The Women of Amy Sherman Palladino. It's coming out November 26. We are going to do a series. It's The Women of series. And the Amy Sherman Palladino did Gilmore Girls, Mrs. Maisel, and Bunheads. And I got to say, as someone who reads Twin Peaks essays for the Blue Rose, like all the time, it was so fun to read like Gilmar Girls essays. <laughs> and, you know, you hear them like be disappointed in the show and you think, are you kidding me? What about what year is this? And, you know, <laughs> how's Annie? And it's just sort of fun to like read people being upset about other shows and you think, oh, this is cute. But, <laughs> um, but that's coming out in November and we're excited because our distributor picked it as a top shelf book so i don't know what that means but they only picked 10 out of the whole company and the women of amy is one of them for the fall so i think they believe in the series and we would like to next up will be the women of joss whedon which he of course did buffy and we want to do one about the women of jj abrams who did lost and felicity and so we're going to keep doing them Bushman did say, shouldn't we wait to see if they sell? And I said, nah. <laughs> We're going on Twin Peaks Unwrapped, man. This book's going to fly off the shelf. Oh, God, yeah. Our listeners will be buying books left and right. But I think it's a cool idea. I mean, I, I love reading them. But I guess while I have my time, I should tell people, you go out to bluerosemag.com. We're selling the book there. You can go to FayettevilleMafiaPress.com. We're selling the book there. You can go out to Amazon, of course, if you're overseas. If you're in America, I'd rather you buy it from us because you want to help a small business and Amazon doesn't care about your money and we need it to pay for the printing of these books because we Mm. print them all up front and we put our 
you know, our heart and soul in this. We want to produce more Twin Peaks books for readers. And this is the first time. And we do have a distributor that we have to answer to. And, you know, they kind of think it's crazy that we keep doing these Twin Peaks books. Let <laughs> us know. Do you guys want us to keep doing Twin Peaks books? You know, the book's twelve ninety nine, and there's 13 essays. That's a dollar an essay. Wow. You're going to get your money's worth out of it, I promise. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. I remember there's this big scene in the desert that Balthazar, um, Getty, and I have at the end of the movie, and I have this robe on, and I don't have any clothes on underneath. I said to Balthazar, okay, when we're supposed to be having sex and I'm sitting on top of you, put your hands on my boobs and keep them there. <laughs> I'm like, Balthazar, I'd rather you touch my boobs than the world see my boobs. <laughs> so keep your hands on my boobs. I wanted to change my nails for, these are Renee's nail colors. These are Alice's nail colors. And so I would be changing my nails in between scenes, sometimes like five times a day, going back and forth between characters. And I remember I painted these kind of greenish blue nails in one scene and we shot it. David was like, oh, I just saw the dailies. Thank God you did that nail color because it's just zing, zing. <laughs> you know what David does, which I love? It's like he's in the scene with you. He's on his megaphone, even when he's like two feet away from you. Such a freak. And he'll often direct you in the scene. You say a line and then say it again. No, no, rip his, rip his head off. Just go for it, Naomi. Just. Take, his, take him by the balls and, you know, like, he'll just give you these. And you actually, it gets you going. It does. Like, I think not everyone could do that. Like, if certain directors, if they would, they would really, like, throw me. But there's something about David where he's in the scene with you and it feels comfortable and it feels good. All right, now we're talking to Lee Kelman-Kolb. Hi, Lee. Hi. So you've got an essay in this book, that The Uncanny Electricity of Women in David Lynch's Worlds. Yes. Can you tell us about that? I actually, this is one of my favorite of the book. I mean, there's Mine a few too. of them, but it's, I yeah. really like this one. Thank you so much. I, it was absolute joy writing it. Um, so something that I've always thought about with Lynch's work is that, um, to me, his work is very feminist in nature. Mm -hmm but I would never want to know what David Lynch had to say about feminism. Hmm. So I think that um, that's related in terms of his use of electricity. And that's kind of how I opened the essay. And he, in um, the book, Lynch on Lynch, he talks about how he uses electricity a lot in his work. And he says, um, and what it means, I don't know. I'm hmm. not a scientist and I haven't talked to these guys that are into electricity but it is a force. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that as kind of parallel to how he um, depicts his female characters as well. It's like uh, he's fascinated with electricity and he's fascinated with women. I mean, that's... And they are electric. No, I don't know about that. They're a force to be reckoned with, I think. Right. Right, right. Yeah. That's really cool. I Yeah, I thought he did a great job with this. And like, because there is always that debate. It's like, oh, is he, you know, is he... Is he degrading women? Is he being disrespectful to women? And you're kind of just, you're kind of saying that he, I don't think he's, I don't think he's overthinking this or thinking about like, what are the feminist views or something like that. He's just, he's just making art. Yeah, he's making art and, right. yeah. He's making art and I think that a, a big mistake in criticism is 
if we see misogyny on screen, then making an assumption that the director is misogynist. Hmm. I think, I mean, sometimes that's the case, but right. more often than not, I feel like with Lynch's characters, when we see um, female characters who are one dimensional or who are kind of archetypes, we're seeing them through the male protagonist's gaze and we're meant to criticize that mm. that man who's treating a woman that way or seeing a woman that way and i think that we're meant to yeah see beyond the depictions and um i i focus in on a few i had just written um a whole lot about twin peaks so for this chapter i focused on um specifically eraser head blue velvet wild at heart and lost highway mm. and looked at how those the, the female characters in those films um oftentimes and I, I reference for blue velvet roger ebert's review where he was very critical about yeah. how the balance is treated and and i can understand that on a surface level but when you dive deeper into the depictions i think it is a very different story yeah and i think this is a great way to start the book off your essay like i think this is a great way to start this book and scott i don't know if you can speak to this i mean when you read hers where you're like this has got to be the first one out of the gate yes actually hers was and i think i told her early on i was like no pressure but i think you're gonna be our first essay because everyone has a different take and that's what makes every essay great in this book but hers was sort of like you know, what I was looking for, like, you know, she's collect, she's doing Lynch, she's doing electricity, she's got all these movies, and she was taking on the misogyny aspect of it, and it was like all right there, and it made it so easy to, I never wondered, hers was the first. Yeah, I mean, they're big, it's a big top, those are big topics you take on in this essay, and, and I, I'm happy someone did, because after season three, there was a lot of that chatter online yet again about Lynch and the way his women are portrayed. Um, and I always thought to myself, I'm like, oh, we can't attack the artists like this. They're just putting how they feel or about these things, but that doesn't define who that person really is. So I thought it was a great essay. Thank you. And I think, and again, I think it's easy to not, because I didn't want to frame it in a way that I was being defensive of Lynch. I didn't want it to kind of come from that um, angle, but I, I just really think that, um, and with season three as well, if you take a step back and analyze, which I know he famously doesn't want to do mm. with us, but I, it's, I, I just think it tells a very different story if you look at the female characters through um, analytical lenses. Right. It's always good to, th to let things settle and think about before you, um, just spout off or just judge, snap judgment. And could you read an, an excerpt of, of your essay? Sure. Um, I think I'll read about four paragraphs um, from the beginning and then kind of jumping to the end of it, if that's okay. That'd sure. be wonderful. Thank you. Electricity is a prevalent theme throughout David Lynch's cinematic worlds. He frequently depicts electricity as powerful, ominous, frightening, beautiful, and life-altering but he's no electrician. In the book Lynch on Lynch, he acknowledges how often he uses electricity and says, and what it means, I don't know. He goes on to say, I'm not a scientist and I haven't talked to these guys that are into electricity, but it is a force. 
The electricity of women in Lynch's universe is similar. The complexity and power of the female characters in Lynch's films are remarkable, yet the representation appears subconscious, and in that mystery lies fascination, fear, awe, and respect. Much of Lynch's work relies on the uncanny, the mysterious and unsettling. These women are a force, and even if Lynch doesn't fully understand the power of their complexity, their existence is electrifying. When women appear simplified or one-dimensional, we are seeing them through the male gaze of terrified fathers, abusive husbands, and confused men. The women in Eraserhead and Lost Highway, for example, show the failures and destructive nature of male immaturity and insecurity. Lynch consistently confronts the tropes of the damsel in distress and the virgin whore dichotomy by presenting and twisting them. Twin Peaks' Laura Palmer challenges the dead girl trope by having her own story. When women break down, Diane in Mulholland Drive, when they weep, Sandy in Blue Velvet, Lynch shows us what men, America, and Hollywood do to women's bodies and psyches. He does not condone or encourage, he shows. Multidimensional women are featured throughout Lynch's work. His dark and surreal worlds often feature women with agency and three-dimensional lives and experiences. When women are archetypes, it's often because the story is shaped by a male protagonist whom we are supposed to condemn. Examining the female characters in Eraserhead, Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, and Lost Highway show how Lynch's storytelling has consistently affixed itself to the importance of women's stories and perspectives and the danger and tragedy that result in objectifying and dismissing women. Lynch's female characters are representative of his fascination with not only women, but also dreams, sex, America, and Hollywood. How these forces affect all of us and how there's intense darkness that lurks beneath. A murdered homecoming queen is a simplified archetype only if her life is unexamined. An aspiring actress with a female lover is an objectified stereotype if her struggles exist only for the male gaze. As in his relationship with electricity, Lynch knows the power and intensity of complex female characters. These women are electrifying and they are also electrocuted by a patriarchal society. However, just as Lynch doesn't understand the science behind electricity, he likely and admittedly doesn't think about approaching his work from an analytical perspective. That's yeah. so good. It's it so good. good. I mean, yeah. uh, I love it. It's really something. Thank you. Maybe I, I just, mean, I, isn't I, it amazing how wonderful all of these essays are and what and how much they put their own self into it? And mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just I I love this book so much. Yeah, it's a wonderful book and it's such an honor to be a part of it. It was just yeah, it's an awesome book. And I like that. The, the that it's visual electricity like I, I yes. get the idea of yeah. electricity and Lynch gets that and to actually put that into something with meaning like this is is just something special it, it really is and with her essay we we actually in all of them we haven't really talked about the art there is different art in it and um Hannah Fortune who is a comic book artist here in Ohio she developed that piece of art for me, which I sort of um, told her to get the alphabet and electricity together to sort of link with Lynch's first film. Mm-hmm. And so, oh. or a short piece. So, yeah, there is an original so cool. piece of art that goes with hers and several other of the essays. Very nice. Love it. And what else are you working on now, Lee? Um, well, not not a whole lot, nothing big. Um, like I had said, I had just written a chapter for Twin Peaks and Philosophy called The Mother of All Bombs. 
um, about women and gender more so in um, femininity and masculinity and warfare and bombs in Twin Peaks. So that came out shortly before I started working on this essay. So I had a whole lot of lynch last year and it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just working on a couple of book reviews now. I'm um, an assistant professor of English and journalism at a community college. So summer has just begun. So I'm kind of taking a breath and um, trying to work on some new projects for sure. Well, if you ever want to write for the Blue Rose, let me know. Um, I love your writing, and, and I thought this was a great essay, and we'd love to have something else from you. Thank you so much. I would love to. Thank you. You know, one of my favorite parts of your essay, it, it, you know, you talk about Lula and that she's choosing to keep her pregnancy when Sailor goes to jail. And you say, talk about how she's strong, independent, and happy. And her, and this is her Yellow Brook Road yeah. Yes. I, to me, it's so powerful. I mean, it's. I mean, I. I sometimes looked at Wild at Heart and see like, oh, is this overly sexual? And it, like, it's. And I have mixed feelings about it. And to hear it through these words, it's like, wow, she is very powerful, and she is taking control of her life. And I just love your words when it came to that. A new perspective. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I think again, that's one that if you watch it through a specific lens, you get perhaps a different message from Lula, but I, I think that if you step back and think of her as a very independent, empowered character, and I think that the depiction of her memories of assault, the depiction of her healthy sexual relationship, the flashback to her abortion, I just think that those are really remarkable um, yeah. kind of cinematic looks at those events in a woman's life. Definitely. Definitely. Lee, thank you so much for your time. I mean, thank you so much for having me. One pill, and he felt he could handle anything. One pill, and he felt bigger than life. Miss. Ed, I know you're feeding your oats, but an upper crust sugar daddy never shouts. This one does, Miss. I beg your pardon. We want to buy some clothes. If it isn't too much trouble. Someone will be with you directly. One moment, please. You see, dear. My wife and I aren't used to places like this, so it's only fair to tell you that if we don't get a whole lot of high-class service, and in a hurry, there's likely to be a terribly embarrassing scene in this sanctum. A theme so vital, a subject so violent, we urge you to bring all your compassion and understanding to it. Our marriage is over. In my mind, I've divorced you. You're not my wife any longer. I'm not your husband any longer. And I'm going to call Dr. Norton to make you stop taking those pills. I don't care if you're paying us or not. I'd rather you were dead than the way you are now. All right, we're, we're talking with Lindsay Hallam right now, and she has an essay from Women of Lynch that is a women's film, melodrama and women's trauma in the films of David Lynch. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. So can you tell us about this? Can you tell us about how you came up with this essay? Um, well, I just written the book on Firewalk with me and there were a couple of things that I didn't have space to write about and one of them was um, an old 1950s melodrama called Bigger Than Life which was directed by Lewis Ray hmm. and uh, watching that film there's a lot of striking parallels between that film and Firewalk uh, especially in the main character which in Bigger Than Life is his father who goes crazy and I I saw a lot of parallels with the character of Lee Palmer. Um, but I just didn't have space to look at that. And then I was thinking more and more about this old melodrama film. But just seeing a lot of 
parallels and in particular considering this was a book about the women of David, of David Lynch. Melodramas were often um, back in the day in like the 30s, 40s, 50s referred to as women's films or women's pictures. So I kind of went from there and started to look at some of the differences. The fact that those old melodramas were one of the films that really looked at that dark underbelly of American society that people associate with David Lynch films as well. I really, I, I, I like the, the you, you talk a little bit about Wild at Heart and Lula and her mom and their bond. And I really like the way you looked at that. That's kind of a complicated relationship. Can, can you share more about that? I was reading, because, you know, again, going back to the, the book that I read on file with me, I just read so much. And um, one of the things that was actually in a footnote in um, Martha P. Knoxon's first book on David Lynch, she just said in this footnote, it said it would be interesting to look at melodrama because there were these older films like Stella Dallas or Mildred Pierce, which was all about the mother-daughter. And from that footnote, I came up with, well, yeah, let's think about that. And so uh, as much as Wild at Heart is this amazing romance, you have this twisted mother-daughter relationship. And, of course, you have the mother and daughter played by an actual mother and daughter. Hmm what I wanted to explore. The, the point you made about in a way that her mom was like a protector in some ways, which it's so easy to look at the mom as the wicked witch and not think about that, you know, the things that she saw her daughter go through and the way her husband acted and that she kind of was keeping Sailor away maybe as a form of protection, I guess. Like, I think my mom just cares for me too much. Yeah. And, uh, and you get the this tradition in a lot of melodramas of this the the mother who is just it, all 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 she cares about is her children and uh, I think I, I even you know was looking and there was this psychoanalytical uh, readings of these mothers that they almost can't separate from the child. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I thought you'd see that aspect in in Marietta. Yeah, yeah, something. And do you have an excerpt of your essay that you'd like to read for us? Uh, well, I was thinking, considering you guys are um, a Twin Peaks, I guess I should write uh, read from the little, the few paragraphs that I've got on Twin Peaks. That'd be great. Like the Hollywood melodrama, Lynch's films reveal common household objects as traumatic symbols. Of particular note is the ceiling fan in the Palmer home in both Twin Peaks and Fire Walk With Me, which becomes associated with the demonic presence of Bob and the father-daughter incest being perpetrated. As Richard Martin writes... The ceiling fan lies above the landing that Flora's father, Leland, crosses from his bedroom, which he shares with his wife, to the bedroom of his daughter, quote, breaking the boundaries of normal familial relations, end quote. In Fire Walk With Me, close-ups of the ceiling fan are intercut with Laura on the staircase looking up at the fan as she hears Bob whisper to her, I want to taste through your mouth. This scene points to further transgressions beyond the taboo of incest, as Bob wishes to possess Laura completely, violating the very boundary that separates not just bodies, but souls. The ceiling fan in the Palmer home is situated at the top of the staircase, another element of the home that carries symbolic significance. Martin again cites examples from melodramas such as Written on the Wind, Bigger Than Life and Home from the Hill, where climactic moments take place in the stairs, arguing that the staircase is, quote, a prime venue for the symbolization of unequal power or altered perspective, end quote. This is certainly the case in the scene from Fire Walk With Me, 
as Laura is shot from a high angle, emphasising her lack of power as she looks upward. Bob is not physically present, but his voice overwhelms her, seemingly coming from above and invading her mind in a way that she cannot escape from. His presence, emanating from the fan as it circulates, violates the safety and security of the family home. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. How was this experience for you? So you've you've worked on uh, the Blue Rose magazine and then working on uh, something for a book. How's that experience been? I don't. Well, I grew up so completely obsessed with Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. and um, I'm a film academic, so I did a PhD and all that stuff. But I never really knew about Twin Peaks until I think about 2015. I did something at a conference, and then since then, with the new season, with the season coming out, and I got a contract to write a book on Firewall with me. And so since then, I just keep writing about it. So um, getting in touch with the Blue Rose magazine, I basically hounded them and said, <laughs> please let me in your women's lynch uh, uh, edition um, issue. Yeah, being, being a part of that and then being a part of this book. And I've also recently written a journal article about the new season. So, um, yeah, I just can't seem to stop writing about Lynch and Trinkle. She is right. She, um, we, we really don't like her writing at all, but she sends <laughs> me money and I need money. So what am I going to do? I let her in the blue rose. I let her in the book, you know, but I, I have no choice. She pays me. Yeah. 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 And, and Scott, when you first read this, what, what did you feel about, uh, this, this essay? Well, I mean, honestly, I felt like, why do I get to write about Twin Peaks? Uh, Because her (laughs) writing is so good. And listen, I hate promoting other people's books because (laughs) I only want people to buy mine. But her Firewalk With Me book is so good. I mean, I, I got it. She signed a copy for me when we met at the UK Fest. And I read it over the plane on the way back, and I was just blown away. And I love Firewalk with me, and I didn't think anyone could teach me anything about it. Mm. And Lindsay schooled me, like, up and down. She's an amazing writer and, uh, I mean, a horrible person. I Just <laughs> horrible. But an amazing, amazing writer. And we're just so happy to be here. Right. <laughs> So, no, she's she's so good, and I told her always she will print anything she has. I mean, I just, I love her work. Well, thank you, Lindsay, for coming on and sharing uh, your essay with us. And, uh, yeah, it, it was great talking yeah. with you. Oh, thank you. And, Lindsay, do you have any okay. social media? Do you want to promote your book, anything like that, before we let you go? Yeah, the Firewalk with Me book is part of a series called Devil Advocates, which is released through... Um, Auto Press in the UK, and I think it's Columbia University Press in the US. You can probably find it online, where all good books are sold. But yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You can, I don't know, you can probably find me. This is where we live, Shelley. As if I didn't know. I'm gonna show you how to wash this towel, and then you're gonna do it. Come off it, Leo. I have to get ready for work. What did you say? Shelly, I'm not fooling around anymore! The first thing you're gonna learn is to have a good attitude. That's the key! Anybody will tell you that. Don't even think about going anywhere. I'm not finished with you. Okay, we're talking to Lindsay Bowden, and she did an essay on 
really, it was an interview with Machen Amick here. The this is where we talk, Shelley. Hi, Lindsay. Hi. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, tell me. So how did you get Machen to, to do an interview for the book? Uh, I asked her to do it. <laughs> I just basically said to her, um, "They've asked me to do this interview with a woman of Lynch, and you are a woman of Lynch and my <laughs> friend, and we always have a giggle together. Shall we do it?" And she said yes. Wow, good nice. get, good get. You 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 asked some great questions. I loved hearing about the development of Shelley. And uh, mm -hmm. did you have a favorite question that she answered? Um, oh, there was quite a lot of questions that I liked asking her, actually. Um, I liked asking her literally about the, the development of Shelley and whether um, she thought Shelley might have moved on in 25 years mm -hmm. <laughs> from her bad boy loving ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I also really enjoyed asking her um, about uh, the, the catchphrase, this is where we live, Shelley, and whether she <laughs> knew how popular that was amongst the fans as well, which she kind of did, actually. That's great. awesome. And, you know, I know this interview was done some time ago, but, you know, we, we recently, you know, Peggy Lipton recently passed away. And it was nice yeah. to hear a little bit. There was kind of a, a little bit in there about how much Peggy supported her. And I thought that was really sweet to hear. And I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, even extra. It was already special, but to be extra special because we lost Peggy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that was it was a real shocker, wasn't it, to everybody to to lose Peggy like that, um, and and you know especially for Machen, Machen and her were very close, and you know she she loved Peggy like a sister and a mentor, you know. Hmm. And uh, so you know, do you learn anything new about your friend from doing this interview? Um, <laughs> we, we actually learned that we probably should have been doing this quite a lot. We were like, why don't we do this more often? We Aww. never do this with text. But, um, but uh, I don't think I learned anything new about her. I knew quite a lot about her. Um, it was nice to hear her talk about Shelley in such detail. I've never really heard her go into detail yes. of Shelley like that before. So that was quite nice. And it was also quite nice um, because we actually stopped the camera rolling um, for the interview and she spoke about Riverdale quite a lot as well, which was nice. But I didn't want Scott to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I read obviously a lot of interviews and we have a lot in the Blue Rose. And I, when Lindsay turned this into me, I just thought it was fascinating. I mean, Lindsay obviously knows her very well, so it might not be surprising to her, but it, I learned a ton. I thought I, I really respected her feelings on what, what she got from the part, how she, how seriously she took uh, the fact that Shelley was an abused woman mm. and, and how much that, sat with her i don't remember how old she was when she played shelly in the first season but really young and to she take was. it that seriously not that i didn't think she was a serious actress i mean she's in my opinion probably the most successful actress as far as the whole time period i don't know anyone who's worked more in as big as projects but yeah. I, I was blown away with with what uh all-around human she was Mm. Yeah, yeah, she very much is 
I like that actually. And it was, I think it's one of the things when we first met in 2013, we, we gelled because she is just one of the girls, you know, and it's, it was really lovely. And I felt a sort of a kinship with her straight away, which has never gone away really. Um, and yeah, she was very young when she did Twin Peaks. I think she was 19. I that think, sounds right. Georgia, correct me. Yeah. That and sounds uh, right. just come off of doing the Baywatch pilot. And mm-hmm. I always mention that because it's my like, ah, she did Baywatch. And she always just thinks I'm an idiot for saying that. Aww. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, she has worked very consistently and she's worked in some great dramas and obviously she's doing Riverdale now, which is hugely successful. Um, yeah, she's, and, and quite rightly so, she's a terrific actress, you know, and a terrific person. Yeah, really, yeah. So cool. You had some great questions. I mean, you even brought up uh, David Lynch or Gordon Cole kissing her and stuff like that. I mean, I think these are all things that you always wonder. It's like, okay, how does the actor feel about this? It's a sweet scene, but yeah, I always wonder that. As an actor and stuff, but I think that, yeah, it was... Yeah, I think she's fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, run on me, David. <laughs> uh, I know we're supposed to be talking about uh, the women of Lynch book, but briefly, can I just say, uh, I, uh, congratulations! It's about you're going to have your 10 year anniversary of the UK festival, and how exciting yeah. is that? Yeah, it's crazy. I can't quite believe it's 10 years. It's like we started off with 200 people in a cinema and a desk, and now we take over entire venues. So um, it's going to be a very special year this year, that's for sure. How exciting. And you haven't announced. Special because I'm going to be there. Is that why you think it's special? Well, that's why I won't be staying all weekend. Uh, it'll be you know <laughs> no of course it'd be wonderful to see everybody there and I'd obviously see you scott as well <laughs> and you have more people more uh actors to announce and, and- yes yeah, so we've announced um george griffith uh who plays ray monroe uh which is very exciting um we've been chatting to george uh for a while about potentially coming over so it's great that he can come this year and uh, I'm super excited that Kenneth Welsh is coming. Um, I don't know if you remember, we had Kenneth in 2017 originally, and then he had to cancel because right. he got Lodge 49, the show. Um, but he's determined to get here this year. He's like, I'm going to get there. <laughs> so uh, and Ken's like a hugely respected actor, you know, and let's face it, he dominated season two. Like, you know, I still, Windermill's my favourite character. That's mm-hmm. no secret. Would be sorry, Major. Um, but um, <laughs> but uh, you know, he plays it so brilliantly. I just am in awe of his performance in season two. So to have him at the festival, he's also a real kind of quirky character. So I'm really looking forward. I think he's going to bring some good stories to the birthday party. Oh, cool. so cool! Awesome. Yes, more guests will be announced very shortly. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for your time. Can you tell people how they can find out more about the UK Fest and how people can follow you? Yeah, if they go to our website, TwinPeaksUKFest.com, uh, that's where you can buy tickets and that's where you can see all about the festivals. We, we're kind of a uh, film festival meets theatrical performances, meets immersive elements, meets a fan conference. So you can't really uh, <laughs> describe us just in one sentence. Um, also, our social media, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're everywhere. Um, so do come and follow us and do come to the festival because it's going to be a great one this year. And I think you can explain it in one sentence, and that is that Lindsay Bowden is beautiful. Hmm. You saw me right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's such a wonderful event, and it's, to me, the Twin Peaks party of the year, and she is so professional, and just the details are mind-blowing, and come and join us. It's so much fun. It is a lot of fun with a good group of people. You know, when I first saw you, I think I saw you in Mask. I didn't expect that you had this kind of character in you. Um, how did 
producers and directors and casting people even let you read? Well, uh, I think that really what happened was I did Blue Velvet for David Lynch, and uh, David and I became very close friends right after that film, and it's been four years of getting to know one another, and uh, I think he decided that he saw a side of me as a personal friend that a lot of people would never cast me as, and, uh, and gave me the opportunity, which is fantastic, because we don't like repression. I don't like repression, so I think getting it all out is, is always a good, a good idea. Yeah. Well, that's great. I wish you luck with this film. Uh, say hello to Nicholas for me. I will. And um, when you check this film out, you'll see her mom in the film also. My mama playing my mama, and she is, uh, she is the wicked witch extraordinaire in this film. And David Lynch actually said to say hello and said to tell you that you are the coolest hep cat oh, on stop. the TV wires. <laughs> so, uh... Thanks for coming back. Lauren Dern, give it up! All right, we're now here with Lauren Fox. Hi, Lauren. Hi. So you've got an essay called The Triple Goddess. Can you tell us about this essay? I can. Um, so... I decided to take uh, the approach. There, there is a um, in the in a in the neo pagan tradition. There is uh, something called the triple goddess, which is which represent. It's you've seen the symbol before. It's the full moon, with, flanked by the two half crescent moons on either side. Ah. and the meaning of it is from left to right, maiden, mother, and crone. It is the three stages of a woman's life. Uh, that she goes through. Really interesting, and you have an you have artwork that you shared in the book too of that, I which is beautiful. Did. I, I draw, and I just really wanted to. I really wanted to do it myself. Nice. And, and, and they were nice enough to let me. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, David. It is very awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So tell me more about this, like, because like, I know nothing about like this is all new to me. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> this is all new to you. So um. I just, I, you know, in thinking about when I was asked to, to, to do the essay and, and, and told it could really be on anything I wanted as long as it was on the women, I really started to think about it and I wanted to personalize it, you know, uh, a little bit. Um, and so I am a, a, a practicing neo-pagan witch mm. and um, I, I've always... I've always loved Dave, David's work because it has such a, an incredible mysticism and mystery to it. Hmm. And I think that that's what it always attracted me the most to it. Uh, and so I wanted, I, I just thought it just seemed, it, it was kind of a natural thing. You know, I was, it just, it, I, I thought about it very little before the idea came to me to take these women and put them in that, in those, those, uh, you know, in in the the triple goddess um, symbol, and 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 to to have you know each a, a character from from each of his things represent those different stages. Yeah, I just thought it was a fascinating way to do it. It, it is. It, it was fascinating. It was a. It was definitely fascinating for me to 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 research and write it in terms of really thinking about who I wanted to go with, and I picked some of my favorite characters. Um, and, uh, and then how I, how I would do it. And it was, a lot of it was, you know, psychoanalyzing these characters, yeah. um, really going deep into, into characters, which for me also, I, I'm an actor as well. So for me, it seemed very natural to 
really delve into who they are, yeah. you know, as, as human beings. That's really, yeah. Do, and do you, you have an excerpt that you could share with us of, of the essay that you could read to us? Well, I thought the best way to do it would just be to read the first paragraph. What do you think, Scott? I think you should draw the picture for them. Oh, Scott, you're not helpful at all. (laughs) Draw the picture for us. I agree with you. I think the intro would be... No, yeah, I mean, any of it would be wonderful. I'm just going to read you just the beginning, just the first paragraph. I have always loved David Lynch's work for the magical, mystical world he creates. Mr. Lynch asks, no, demands that you take it all in and decide for yourself what the whole of it means. He doesn't spoon feed or explain. He just creates and then forces you to think beyond the boundaries of what you see and what you know to be true. I am a practicing neo-pagan, a witch, which means that I worship nature above all and I believe in magic, in gods and goddesses who guide us and teach us about ourselves. Neo-pagans take from multiple pagan spiritual and religious traditions, incorporating the ones that speak to us into our practice. One simple symbol that has become universally used by neo-pagans is the triple goddess or triple moon, a fairly common symbol most have seen, whether aware of it or not. It is a circle, the full moon, flanked on each side by an outward-facing crescent moon, waxing on the left, waning on the right. The three symbols stand for, going left to right, maiden, mother, crone, the three stages of a woman's life, but also the three aspects of a woman that, when in balance, embody the great goddess. It is a symbol of creation, mysticism, and feminine power. Very nice. Yes. I can say that what I love about her essay is so many other people just focused on one thing. And what was great about hers is she has Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, Twin Peaks. And to me, that's when things really come alive, when you're not just focusing on one of Lynch's things, but she's pulling from three different Mm. Lynch works. And I don't know, I that's probably my favorite part about it. Thank yeah. you. Uh, how did you pitch this to uh, Scott? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just, um, I don't know. I just did. And, and they, you guys were really, really incredible about just being like, yeah, that sounds good. Go with it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they were, they were pretty, pretty open and, and excited about it. You know, I mean, I, I don't think Scott, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you had any idea what to expect. <laughs> Because it's so kind of far out of, you know, what you, what you knew. No, yeah, I mean, I really didn't. I was in. I was excited from the get go because I like anything that's different, and so I, I mean, I, I enjoyed reading everyone's, but like yours, I sort of learned something that I didn't know. Because you're right, everyone knows what those three symbols is. But what's really mm. cool is before she gets to the Lynch stuff, she sort of goes through and explains what each of those symbols mean. And you know, yes, she picked these three characters, but you could almost do this. You know, you could fit Audrey Horn in there and and yeah. Laura Palmer, or, you know, uh, Nikki Grace. I mean. You could have picked anyone. Did you have other ones that you thought about doing or were these three always the three? 
Yes, I act. I absolutely did. I, I um, at one point I thought about taking several characters and putting them in each each one, but I thought that 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 kind of muddled it. I really wanted to to get to dig in deeper, so I didn't do that. I just picked three of my favorite characters and worked on them. But but there is a point, um, uh, in in when I'm talking about Dorothy uh, in Blue Velvet, where I actually um, veer a little bit uh, when I talk about Dorothy. Mm. I mean, not Dorothy. Um, uh, um, Sandy Williams, uh, Laura Dern's character, and how she is, you know, she represents the maiden in that film. You know, and that monologue about the Robin. I mean, it's, it's that, to me, that moment, that monologue of hers embodies the maiden. Why are there people like Frank... Why is there so much trouble in this world? I had a dream. In fact, it was the night I met you. In the dream, there was our world. And the world was dark because there weren't any robins. And the robins represented love. And for the longest time, there was just this darkness. And all of a sudden, thousands of robins were set free. And they flew down and brought this blinding light of love. And it seemed like that love would be the only thing that would make any difference. Yeah, yeah. So, it's really cool to see how how these female characters fit in, and you yeah. know, there's no doubt that uh, David Bushman and I didn't, you know, we weren't setting out to look for an essay like this. I mean, this it was a gift that Lauren gave us, but it fits our topic so perfectly that you know that's why we didn't really have much to say. Like, I mean, she came with a good pitch. I don't. I don't even remember us having a ton of notes for you. I don't know, no, but you didn't. I feel like we. I mean, it just was sort of there, and so it's yeah. it's it's a well formed thought, and it works perfectly. Nice. Thank you. Thank I like you. how you describe uh, uh, Dorothy as his mother goddess, and that she has her power when she's on stage singing. And I think mm-hmm. I can look at that and say, like, yeah, I guess That's I can. True. I can totally see that and stuff. So you. Uh, yeah. you know, the interesting thing with Dorothy is that throughout the film, she she really she runs the gamut of all three, mm. you know, at certain points, uh, depending on on where she is in the storyline. And that I found incredibly interesting uh, when because I I, you know, I, of course, rewatched and rewatched and rewatched all of them just to to really get in there. And I realized like, wow, Dorothy really. She just, she, she embodies all of them. Hmm. You know, she wants, she is in the mother stage and she wants to be the mother. But, you know, at one point she's, you know, she's this kind of vulnerable maiden, innocent. 
you know, and who's been, who's had all of her power taken away. And at another point she's, you know, she's just been abused so much and, 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 and reduced to nothing that she's like this kind of ancient bitter crone, you know, it's like, it, there's like so much going on in her character. Uh, and, 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 and part of what is so interesting about the maiden mother crone is that, um, the three embody the, the, the great goddess, like the, the full picture of a woman. And so a lot of times a woman, you know, throughout her life will, will embody different aspects of the three. So where's, them, you know? where's Laura Palmer? You know, I thought about that. She <laughs> is. So, um, so Laura Palmer, I mean, she's, you know, she is, she's made in age. Um, I like, I feel like Laura is maiden and crone and kind of missed the mother hmm. yeah. altogether. You know, I mean, her life was cut short, but I feel like, um, what we see of Laura Palmer, you know, throughout Twin Peaks is kind of either the, you know, the, the teenage girl and then this kind of like almost, you know, uh, dark, uh, jaded, you know, angry woman. But the thing that's, I think, interesting about it, now that I'm thinking about it, we're going to scrap your essay and you're going to read, <laughs> write a new one on Laura Palmer. But the Meals on Wheels aspect of Laura, wouldn't, wouldn't that be mother? And, and the fact that she was giving back to the town, was she in yeah, some way yeah. a mother of the town? I mean, it was fake, so I can see, but from the town's point of view. You are absolutely right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think she's a hard one to place, which yeah. is why I asked. I mean, as as many characters do, you know, as many women do, you, they run the gamut of all of them in, in some, you know, yeah. to some extent. You know, I think it's hard to it's hard to place a woman completely in one category at all times. Mm. <laughs> and I think it's what I like about a, a lot of these essays, uh, Scott, is because I think a lot of uh, the writers are really showing how complicated all of Lynch's characters are, which I think yeah. is, it's really something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really true. And, and you know, it's I mean, Laura certainly has got to be the most complex Lynch character. I mean, I suppose Lula is comp might be the, it's hard to choose, but I mean, Laura, we know so much about her that it makes it hard. And, and as she's saying, not everyone stays in one phase. It's just interesting to be so young and be all three. And so I don't mm. know. I, I just love this concept. So I, I, this is an essay that I, I really like. And I, I, you know, I had, I think the most fun, uh, writing the log lady. I, I, she's my favorite Lynch character, actually. I just, I've always, she's, you know, the sage and, and, um, I don't know, I have such a soft spot in my heart for her. And, uh, she's so, I mean, that was the, that was the only one that was completely obvious from the second, it was almost like, I want to write about the log lady. You know, <laughs> what came first, chicken or egg? Um, yeah. But she so represents the crone. It's like in every aspect. And um, and that really that when I got to writing her, that was that was to me the most personal, exciting part, just because it moves me so much. You mm. know, 
she's something very special. She also is very much. She's very earthly, isn't she? I mean, she's a very. She very. seems. She's. She seems like a very spiritual, earthy. She lives yeah. in the woods. She's got the wood cabin. She seems to be very much in touch with nature. I mean, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Well, she is the most mystical of. I think of his characters. I really. Yeah. Do. yeah. I agree. Uh, which is why I think I'm so so drawn to her. Well, Lauren, it's wonderful talking with you, and it is quite an interesting essay. And I, I you know, it's really something else. And can is, is there a place that people can follow you? And I, I, and I don't know if there's anything you want to share with what you're working on right now. Or? So actually, I wanted to share this because it's so interesting. To it'll be interesting to you guys too. It, it was completely by accident, although there are no accidents. Um, mm. So I just, um, I, I, I spent the past year. Uh, uh, getting certified in in several modes of, modalities of healing, so mm. I'm I, I'm a breathwork healer, and I just got back a, a week ago from uh, becoming a Reiki master. Oh, well, congratulations! Oh, yeah, That's something. Well, guess who my teacher was? This is uh, I didn't I didn't realize it. I I took uh, I took class with her months ago and I just and I I, she you know her face looked familiar but we didn't talk much about anything but Reiki and um and then it wasn't until I was away uh doing my Reiki master and one of the other uh students said something about Twin Peaks Hmm. that I realized I knew she sang and I realized who she was but she's Erica Spring she was in the the band Au Revoir Simone who did two episodes of Twin Peaks she's that something if you if you um, if you remember, she's the center one with the bangs and the straight long hair. Ah. So she's my Reiki master. She was my teacher. What a small world! Wow. That's crazy. Something, that's something yeah, else. Which I thought was so incredible. And I said to her, you know, while we were away, I said, "You're not going to like. I have to talk to you about this because." <laughs> and I told her about the essay and everything, and and uh, she told me about how she met David and and how that whole uh, relationship with the band developed and. It was really cool. Wow. And is she going to buy a book? <laughs> That's all you know, It always goes back to the book. <laughs> I absolutely think she'll buy a book. She's, okay, she's good. Very, very. She she was very excited to hear about it. Um, so yeah. So I, I just thought that was really cool. That's awesome. Um, that is cool. And if you um, if anybody wants to check, uh, I have a website called Strange Magic Wellness. Uh, magic is with a CK instead of just a C. So it's S T R A N G E M A G I C K wellness, W E L L N E S S. If anybody wants to check it out. Nice. That's cool. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. David and I met originally when we did Eraserhead. It was, you know, I can't remember the exact year, but I think it was somewhere around 71. Maybe just, it was just before he was doing Racerhead. So we had known each other for a long time. And at the time he was planning to do Twin Peaks, Jack and I were sharing a house in North Hollywood. And we knew Jack was going to do it because that, David had told him that. And uh, we went out to dinner one night for David's birthday. And he made this enormous cactus plant, you know, to give him as a present, which is pretty funny if you know David. You know, it wasn't a big party. It was kind of small. And I saw them looking at me at the end of the table and I'm thinking, you know, they, but they, Laura and Kyle and David, they're all kind of looking. And, and it was right after that that Mark says, you know, we're thinking of, um, you know, having you play Betty Briggs. And I thought, you know, who's that? <laughs> 
right, we're talking to Lisa Hessian now. Hi, Lisa. Hello. You did an essay, Mary X Marks the Spot. You got to interview Charlotte Stewart. Yeah, yeah. I had the really awesome pleasure of speaking to Charlotte Stewart live, and it was sweet. Uh, She's such a nice person. We met her in person, so I read this, and there's just like the the warmth is coming off the page. Oh, she's so warm. It's crazy. Uh, I mean, she, she, yeah. Can you tell us, like, what was, what was some of the favorite, like, answers she gave to you or that she shared with you? Well, um, there are quite a few that, so the thing about interviewing Charlotte Stewart is you don't necessarily interview her. It's basically, she just, she just talks and tells these awesome stories. So it was almost like from one story into the other. Um, I think the most unexpected story when she was talking about how she was at dinner um, with, with Kyle McLaughlin and David Lynch and Laura Dern um, I think, and and had mentioned that she was going to be Laura Dern's mom and mm. wild at heart initially. Nice. And so they, she told that story, which is pretty wild and crazy because I never heard that before. Obviously, you know, Diane Ladd, it made sense. Yeah, and right. It was awesome, but I thought that yeah. was a pretty cool story. That's very cool. And I liked that she told you a story that she didn't even get to put in her own book, which I thought was really Ooh, interesting. That's special. I mean, that was kind of special just yeah. about... yeah. Yeah, yeah. Probably didn't seem as significant to her at that time, but it was a great story. Right. I think just her personality, and I, like, what really came through through the whole interview was the whole idea of why not, right? I mean, like, yeah, a lot yeah. of times we ask why, and Charlotte says, why not? I mean, I thought that was beautiful that... Yeah, it, it, it's 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 perfect. I, um, if I could be one-tenth of the woman that she is, you know, um uh, that would be awesome. And so I didn't even ask you, are you, are you a Twin Peaks fan or how would you know of Charlotte? Yeah. So I actually, Scott introduced me to Twin Peaks when I was something like 13 years old. Oh, um, he, yeah. So yeah. have we even mentioned, mm-hmm. how do you know Scott? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, so I, he's my cuz. Um, so I've had the pleasure of knowing Scott Ryan uh, for 30 years, probably. And Lisa, how would you say you felt about (laughs) me when you were from like three years old to 11? Uh, yeah, I, I basically hated his guts. He was tall and weird. Um, that's what we all feel like. (laughs) Yeah. That's what we all say about him. He's tall and weird. Right. I mean, yeah. Like this giant, like vulture. (laughs) (laughs) A giant vulture. He was scary, you know? Uh, so he introduced you to Twin Peaks. Yes, yes. And um, and it was awesome. And it was really th- during a time period of my life, so, you know, your, your early teens where you're figuring out who you are and um, and it was perfect. And so owls have haunted me ever since then and all of the iconic Twin Peaks things. So, so cool that, you know, people are together talking about it still and it still has the same effect on people. It's just, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, it truly is. Yeah, it was, it was fun because um, Lisa and her friends would come over and we watched one or two episodes a week after school. And they were all 13 and, you know, uh, um, when we got to the part where Laura's secret diary comes up, 
I just told Lisa because she was family, so I could. I said, now, look, there's a diary, and I'm going to give it to you. Hmm. But if your (laughs) parents find out you have this book, you have to say you stole it from me because (laughs) I'm going to get in so much trouble giving you the Laura Palmer diary at 13. I mean, um, yeah. And Even now, I'm like, what in God's name were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> you, you weren't. I mean, like, but. But, I mean, it's Twin Peaks, man. It's David Lynch. You got to. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm so glad. So there, is there anything else you want to tell us about Charlotte? I mean, she kind of is like, I don't want to say monarchy. She's like the. Uh, she's the spokesperson. The, yes. for she's Twin the, the woman of Lynch. It's yeah. crazy when you think about it. And she's. um She's super cool, you know, and her her book has a super long name. What is it? Little House in the Hollywood Hills, A Bad Girl's Guide to Becoming Miss Beetle. Right. I mean, yeah. it is I I read that to prepare for the interview and I just felt like I knew her and she was just this mischievous like wild child always playing these super virginal, you know, uh roles. Mm. And I just thought uh I, I just love the whole thing about her, you know, because she she just does. Why not? And it has that like whimsicalness to her that makes her, like you said earlier, warm, just yeah. a warm, awesome lady. And just the uh, surrounded by the noise and the craziness of eraser head. It's just like she's perfect. Yeah. Totally. yeah. And you have this beautiful picture of David Lynch in a chair and Charlotte uh, uh, arm around him and stuff. And it's a nice picture. And is it on the, is it actually uh, from the set of season three? Looks like it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. She's, yeah. She, the day she filmed the chair scene, she sent us that picture oh. to use in the book, which was really great to have something like that in the book. And I don't remember, is there two pictures? I forget if she sent us just that one. I felt like she sent something else too, but maybe it was just two of the same ones. Oh, then we have, uh, well, we have the, um, it looks kind of montage one. Oh yeah. You know, oh my gosh, I didn't even see this. How did I miss this? Oh, wow. Right. So I'm looking at it. It's like hitting photos. And then I'm looking, it's like, oh, there are other photos in there. Oh, very nice. Yeah. And she shared that. And you know, it's, it was the last thing that we got in the book. Lisa was working on an Eraserhead essay. That's what was going to be in there. And Charlotte sent a message to me and said, Scott, you're doing a Women of Lynch book? You're not going to break my heart and I'm not going to be in this, am I? And I was like, oh my gosh. So I had emailed her and I guess the emails just didn't get through. And so I quickly, I called Lisa and I was like, "Um, how do you feel about interviewing Charlotte Stewart tomorrow? (laughs) And I'm like, "Uh, yes. And that essay was crap. Like, let's move on, you know. Totally on board. Let's do this. So, Lisa, you actually had an other essay that you had, were working on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah it was so all about Eraserhead, but oh, we yeah. figured since she had, you know, she had done the background on right. Mary X and a lot of it was about that. And nice. then, well, I mean, it was better to have Charlotte Stewart. That's yes. the original right. woman right. of Lynch. She's yeah. the first one. Totally. Wow. Yeah. Happy accident. Well, it's wonderful. Yes. It really is something. Well, yeah, I mm-hmm. love this. I mean, there and like I said, it's so there is such a warmth, and it's so wonderful to have her in this book, and uh, I love it. I also just love that you know that she shares stories not just about Twin Peaks, but just about you know, it's also interwoven. Obviously, it's her life, but um, 
I just love all of the stories that she tells in that short amount of time. So yeah, it was an honor. It's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing yeah. that with us and stuff. And can you share, is there other stuff you're writing or there's other things you're doing that you'd like to share with us? Oh, that is, I do a lot of artwork here and there. Nothing crazy to share at the moment, but be on the lookout. You never know. Cool. Nice. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> yeah, Lisa thank you. did write for issue seven of The Women of Lynch. She wrote the Eraserhead female characters. Yep. Oh, okay. Well. So do you like Eraserhead? Is that is that a movie that you enjoy? Because now it seems like you there's a pattern here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No, I actually really hated it. It really was not one. I was like, what is the deal with Eraserhead? Like, uh, I, I just uh, didn't uh. understand it. Um, so that's why when the Women of Lynch issue came out with Blue Rose um, and – I was thinking about writing something. I thought, man, that would be really cool to actually, you know, research and watch it, uh, not just from an experiential standpoint, but, you know, actually watch it with uh, different eyes. And, and it was super cool to think about more of the journey of how it came to be. I mean, the story is what it is, but the um, them camaraderie, everyone like making this happen and just for Lynch's vision. I mean, it was crazy. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. And what I love about Charlotte is she, she you know, she, I think she said, she, she says more in your, in the interview with you, but she said many times before that uh, David asked her what she thought of the movie once she saw it. And I think in so, in so many words, she said she hated it or gave me a, Root yeah, canal or something. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know, Lynch says, "Oh, great." Good. <laughs> but I love that Charlotte is so blunt and she doesn't hide her feelings. And either way, I mean, she expresses herself no matter what. And mm -hmm. It's a beautiful. Yeah, thing. In, in the interview, I just uh, looked at it. She says, "I was devastated. It made me sick." <laughs> <laughs> and, and Lynch is like, "It's great, great." Yeah. Five years working on this, and Lynch gets to show it off. It's like, what? Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a. Ah, yeah, it's disgusting. It's a disgusting, disgusting right. pile. I Excellent. Love it. That's what it's <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for your time. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for the invite and letting me be on this. Yeah, anytime. Blue Velvet was my first David Lynch movie. I hadn't read the script yet. He walked out, and I, you know, was just startled by every aspect of him. And he looked at me and, I, you know, I was waiting for this like magical, these magical words. And it was a magical moment, but he went, I have to pee. And so, <laughs> so he disappeared. In the case of Lost Highway, I'd say David. So am I playing two different people? Yes. Is one of them a ghost? Is one a hallucination? Are these real people? What am I playing here? I don't know, Patrish, what do you think? So I had to come up with a whole concept of what I thought Lost Highway was about. At one point when I was talking about, okay, I think for the Renee character, I should have dark hair and blunt cut bangs like Betty Page. And David said, who's that? And I was like, Betty Page, David. <laughs> Betty Page, if you don't know Betty Page. And then I, I turned him on to Betty Page and he was like, oh, Betty Page, wow, she's the bee's knees, wow. <laughs> All right, we're talking with Maya, who has an essay on Impressions of Lynch, Journaling a Requiem. Hi, Maya. Hi, guys. So this is a really uh, very creative, unique essay, and I'm trying to figure out how we can tap toe around things, because I don't want to give too much away. But 
I, I, Scott says that you had to pitch things. Can you kind of give us your pitch without spoiling things? Pretty sure that when I, when Scott first asked me if I wanted to submit something for the book, he was thinking a traditional essay. Yes. Uh, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I'd actually had an idea to do like a journal style. Um, I guess you could call it it's one part essay, sort of one part story, but not fan fiction because I wouldn't want to like drift into that territory. Uh, and I kind of wanted to take it from the perspective of a fan who was revisiting all of Lynch's films for the last time. Hmm. Uh, so I kind of created this little thing around it and I chose to do it in the first person because I thought it was sort of a little more powerful that way. And uh, it was a little, it was kind of fun to write it. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I wanted it to have a little bit of a Lynchian feel. I don't, not that I could do that quite correctly, but I tried and it was, was really fun. I, I really enjoyed your the writing and telling of a story and kind of balancing maybe the fan commentary with uh, serious issues. And I thought that was a, a wonderful balance that you did. Thank you. Uh, I guess I just kind of wanted each little entry to be a little bit reminiscent or have an essence or a tone of what the film was and then try to find a way to tether it together so it kind of told its own story. Cool. So, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> so that was what I tried to do. <laughs> I don't know. So some of some of the posts are actually looks like handwriting and then some of them look like they're typed up. Why did you decide to go kind of go back and forth between that? Well, actually that was Scott's idea oh. and I really liked it because um, I think the thing that I was probably trying to do the most was create a sense of duality in the writing because I feel mm -hmm. like that's such a heavy thing in all of Lynch's films and so I figured um you know you could kind of see a person kind of unraveling mm. but but yet, yet you're seeing that they did have some sort of clarity in one sense and in another sense they were kind of writing their deranged thoughts I guess yes <laughs> and I think the the handwritten part of it kind of makes a visual showcase of that. Yeah, that's true. And Maya, could yeah. you talk a little bit more about how it was Scott's idea? <laughs> well, let's you go a little bit. He's so brilliant. And he <laughs> Hi, and Brian, she's talking. Uh, no, actually, Scott was great and um, gave me a lot of creative freedom. Him and David both gave me a lot of freedom here to do what I wanted, and I was really excited about it. It's one of my favorite pieces you've probably done because I just think it's it's very creative and, and the storytelling. And, of course, I love the commentary. And, and, yeah, it's just it's really well done. And I don't think this is a spoiler, but, you know, I start reading and it's like, oh, Maya, this, this is the voice of Maya. Or this is another voice of a woman. And you read mm -hmm. it and it's not to the second page. It's like, oh, this is Kevin. But, like, I'm just thinking, oh, you know, it's a woman's voice. And it's like, well, it's not a woman's voice. But, I mean, does that matter? I mean, it does. It does there, is a, there is a reason you picked a male voice i mean right yes um i think i chose mostly because i felt that in a lot of lynch's films particularly lost highway which you know we know we all love yes uh, 
it's told from the male perspective. So, mm. um, and I also wanted it to be separate from me since it was in the first person. Yeah, I didn't really want it to see. I didn't want people to read it and think, "Oh, Maya's crazy," but they <laughs> <laughs> know what I am. So. It is. <laughs> I love it. You have it. Well, I I just want to say that I love this piece so much. And, you know, it ends the book because I think it it ends the book. Like it would be hard for someone to follow her piece. And it's no reflection of anyone else's piece. But when you read this, it's so different that for it to be in the middle of the book, I think it would be hard to go back to the academic essays. Hmm. But I had a similar thing as you, Ben. I was reading this and then I was like, why this is a guy this is the women of lynch like what what was she thinking <laughs> then as you go along it comes clearer and as soon as you finish you want to read it again and the second yeah. time it's really clearer which to me is again very lynchian because you rarely get lynch's stuff the first time and it's i, I i'm afraid of maya now after reading <laughs> oh. i'm afraid i'm not afraid to say it yeah. my plan worked <laughs> <laughs> Can you can you read some of it to us that is not maybe sp- that doesn't really spoil uh, uh, the essay? Uh, well, yes, I I was thinking, and I apologize if you hear a kitty crying in the back. I thought that was your baby. Like, yeah. uh, uh, is there a kid? Uh, yeah, I'm like, what's going on over there? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I that's hope awesome. we can edit. Is that a cat? I guess that's a cat. Um, I have a 16 year old cat. Oh. Um, who is very loud, so I you say like It's like uh, a racer head or something. Yes, yeah, it's a racer head baby, baby in there. <laughs> okay, I think he's going to settle down now. You're editing this, right? <laughs> oh, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to amplify the cat noise. <laughs> yes, that's very Lynchian. <laughs> okay. Uh, you want me to read? Please. Yeah. Okay. Entry six. Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Twin Peaks, at its core, is Laura's story. Fire Walk With Me is the embodiment of her life of horrors and her ultimate triumph in death. That's how I always saw it in the past. The actual murder of Laura Palmer is brutal, terrifying, and haunting. The visual power it holds has been seared into my mind forever. Dear reader, all families have a secret or two, a moment of something domestically questionable, don't they? I can hear her laughing. She's somewhere in this room with me, watching me. Just out of sight, lurking in the shadows, but I know she's there. The ghost who haunts this house wants me to pay for my sins. She's trying to drive me mad. I see Laura on the screen. She's dancing in the pink room. Drug-fueled jaunt with jocks Donna, Ronette, and Buck excites me, and there certainly aren't any turkey dogs there. I'm terrified, but not of Bob or anything in the Black Lodge. She's here. Her sadness hangs in this room like a heavy weight. I felt her poke my back. The feeling was sharp and cold and distinct. I keep writing, pretending not to notice her games, but I do. My hand moves, but I'm frozen in fear. Mixed with the hard sounds coming from the screen, the sounds of Laura being murdered in the train car is another more subdued sound. Dear reader, I can hear her breathing. I think she's right behind me. (laughs) It's powerful stuff. And there's like, I mean, I I remember reading that part and and starting questioning things and saying, what is he talking about and stuff like it's so well done and i think i i mean i love the layers of this story this essay and what you did and it's just incredible oh thank you ben it really means a lot 
Uh, it was a really great fun. I basically wrote it in a few nights of staying up really late and kind of just getting like lost in it. And I had a lot of fun. And I, I think that's what writing should be. It should be an expression and it should be fun and passionate. And that's what I tried to do. And it's fun because when I'm prepping the women of Amy Sherman Palladino and we're getting these essays in, someone else wrote an essay that isn't quite an essay and she's more of a novelist to begin with and she sort of writes a story. So when I was pitching this one to Bushman, we were going through, I said, well, we'll put this in the Maya section of the women. So, of uh, you know, so now all of the books need to have a Maya section oh. to, to end the book. And, yes. and like Maya sort of has set this trend for doing something completely different, but in yet staying within the confines of the book. So Maya's a trendsetter. She is. Oh, thank you guys. Oh. It was wonderful. Do you want to share with us any, time. what else are you working on right now? And what have you been up to? Oh boy. Uh, truthfully, nothing. <laughs> That's kind of, it's kind of a good, it's a, what was the summertime? It's a good time to kind of do nothing. Do nothing yeah. Yes, I, that's kind of what I want is just a few months to just focus on real life a little bit without writing pressure, but I'll probably not be able to stay away for very long. Yeah, that's cool. Do you want to share <laughs> with people how they can follow you? Uh, sure. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter at Twin Peaks blog. And um, I haven't updated it in a while, but I do have my own blog at TwinPeaksFanatic.blogspot.com. Cool. And are, you're still doing stuff with 25 years later too, right? Uh, yes, I'm sure I will. I don't have anything in the pipeline right now. I mean, they're great. They always have like, you can log into their thing and they're always talking about a million different projects and stuff, but I'm just a little reluctant to commit myself to anything right now because of work commitments and different things coming up. Yeah. But she does have a piece in issue 10. Oh, oh that's yes. Scott, that's true. I have that as I did write something about, um, Comparing like Hitchcock and Lynch, which will be in the Blue Rose issue 10. Nice. I love it. I can't wait to Yeah, read it. that sounds really interesting. Thank you. I got a call that he wanted to meet me at Bob's Big Boy to see if Kyle McLaughlin and I could get along or something. <laughs> it was like a chemistry lunch. We ordered malts and french fries and... David was doodling on napkins while Kyle was doodling with a knife into his ketchup. And I mean, <laughs> a girl either goes, these are really bizarre men and they're twin souls, or I'm in love with both these people and want to spend the rest of my lives with them, which is how I responded. Well, this concludes today's podcast, The Women of Lynch. Uh, thank you, Scott Ryan, for having um, all your writers come on and uh, talk about their essays. And when does this book hit the – when can people buy this book? They can buy it as of today. Uh, as I said, you can go to bluerosemag.com. You can go to fayettevillemafiapress.com. If you're out of the country, you can go to your Amazon. It is an ebook as well. Um, you know, we've got it heavily discounted to try to compete with Amazon. And there are more essays than we had on. There's 13. Um, we also have one on Elephant Man. There's two on Jade, which are really interesting. There's this kind of a comic one on Mulholland Drive. And I think that 
hits them all. And plus an introduction by Philippa Snow that sort of sets the tone. So um, I love this book. I mean, I, I, I can say that because I'm, I'm not writing in it. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not me. I'm not praising me. Um, it, it's these women, and you've heard it tonight, you know, they look at Lynch different than I feel like critics have. And to be honest, most of them have been male critics who have been mm. saying these things. And I, I love this series and I hope it's successful enough that we can, you know, do more books about it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, else. it is. You're absolutely right though. It's great to hear a female voice talk about characters that we've heard a bunch of men talk about. Yeah, and to have all these different perspectives, yeah. too. I mean, there's a lot of different perspectives that they, they give us. Well, thank you, Scott. Let people know how can they follow you and how can they uh, get uh, the book again and how can they get the Blue Rose magazine and how can they listen to the Red Room podcast. And, <laughs> and everything else you're doing. Why are you forgetting my Letterman book? <laughs> oh, yeah, Letterman. Um, but is David Lynch <laughs> in the Letterman book? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um Follow me at Blue Rose Mag One on Twitter. Now the Twitter's let the Blue Rose back on. Oh, we were banned for two days. I'm 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 not happy with Twitter. Um, and BlueRoseMag.com is the website for the Blue Rose. We really need your support if you're a Twin Peaks fan. You know, vote with your dollars. So as I said, I want to continue to write about Lynch and Twin Peaks because. I love it, and I want to publish other people who are writing about it, but you got to vote with your dollars. That's all we can say. So thanks, and thanks to you guys. This was so nice, and I loved hearing from all these authors, and I loved your guys' show, and thanks for everything. And thanks for putting up with us for a few hours. Yeah, we had a great time. <laughs> we did have a good time. Did we? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> and if you... Let's do it again next week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, three hours a week. <laughs> And if you have a comment, question, or uh, a theory about Scott Ryan's uh, childhood, give us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on all your favorite podcaster catchers. And uh, like us on the old Facebook, follow us on the old Twitter, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. You know, I wrote a very small note at the beginning, and I quoted an Indigo Girl song, and I think it's a good way to finish up. This is Emily Sailors from the Indigo Girls in a song called Pendulum Swinger from 2006. You work in the system. You see possibilities, and you're glistening. Eyes show the hell you're going to give them when they back off the mic for once and give it to a woman. Can a lay woman I see, love. I see love and I like to make it happen What we get from your war walk The ticker of the nation breaking down like a back clock I want the pendulum to swing again So that all your mighty mandate was just spitting in the wind It doesn't come by the bullwhip It's not persuaded
a bucket with just enough science to keep from saying fuck it until the last drop of sun burns a sweet light plenty of revolutions left until we get this thing right doesn't come by the bullwhip it's not possible.